Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. Here's the big idea, Luke said. Jesus told a story to illustrate how we ought to pray in every circumstance. Not just in the easy circumstances, not when the answer seems obvious or possible. We ought to pray at all times and not lose heart. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor Dr. Robert Jeffress. As Christians, we've been given an immense privilege to place our requests before God in prayer. Yet many times we struggle to make prayer a consistent part of our daily life. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress opens to the parable of the persistent widow to discover the power of persistent praying. Now here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. I'm glad you joined us because this week we're wrapping up our month-long teaching series in which I'm focusing on several of Jesus' favorite stories. In conjunction with my teaching series on the parables of Jesus, I've written a brand new book for your family that's called Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids. Now, As I speak with parents and grandparents about the challenges they face today, people often tell me how they're looking for trustworthy materials to entertain their kids as well as inform their kids. And they're looking for something that doesn't involve a computer or a cell phone. I decided to write a book for kids that not only entertains them, but more importantly, teaches them 10 Timeless Lessons from Jesus. My new book is fully illustrated, and I'm pleased to send you a copy when you give a generous gift to our Gospel Advance Matching Challenge that's active for just one more week. Just after my message today, I'll give our contact information so you can give your special gift. Because of the $500,000 matching challenge, every dollar you give before July 4th, and that's next Monday, will have twice the impact. That means your generous gift of, say, $50 becomes $100. A $500 gift would be matched until it became $1,000. Some can give even more. And as a thank you for receiving your gift, whatever it is, I'm going to send you my brand new children's book for your child or grandchild perhaps a niece or nephew. It's called Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids. But right now, it's time to get started with today's study. Turn with me to Luke chapter 18, and let's give attention to today's topic. I titled today's message, Persistent Praying. Gary Player won more international golf tournaments than anyone in his day. And invariably after a tournament, somebody would come up and say, Mr. Player, I would give anything if I could hit a golf ball like you do. Well, after one particularly frustrating tournament, again, a player came up and said, Mr. Player, I would give anything if I could hit a golf ball like you do. And Gary Player's usual politeness eluded him. And he said to the fan, no, you wouldn't. You'd give anything to hit a golf ball like I do if it were easy. But do you know what it takes to hit a golf ball like I do? It means getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning and going out and hitting a thousand balls until your hands are bleeding. Then you go up to the clubhouse, you wash off the blood, you slap a bandage on it, and you go out and hit a thousand more golf balls. That's what it takes to hit a golf ball like I do. 
persistence, the ability to continue in spite of the obstacles that you face is not only the key to success in golf, persistence is the key to success in your prayer life. And that's the truth of the parable we're going to look at. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 18 as we discover the value of persistence in praying. Luke chapter 18. Uh, This week I was invited to go over to Dallas Seminary and to teach a group of students about preaching through the book of Revelation. And uh, one of the things I talked to the students about was the importance of before you ever get into the text is in your own study to be able to develop the proposition, the big idea of the text. And that's what I do every Monday morning. Whenever I'm getting ready to preach a passage of Scripture, I read the passage over and over again. And only when I'm able to summarize in one sentence what the subject of that passage is and what the writer is saying about that subject, only then do I know I really understand the passage. By the way, when you're reading the Bible in your own Bible study program, you ought to be able to do the same thing. Ask yourself, what is the author talking about, his subject? What does he say about his subject? Well, this week, fortunately, I got off easy in my own study because I didn't have to search and hunt and pray about the big idea of the passage we're going to look at, because Luke already gives it to us in verse 1 of Luke 18. Luke said, now Jesus was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. Here's the big idea, Luke said. Jesus told the story to illustrate how we ought to pray in every circumstance. Not just in the easy circumstances, not when the answer seems obvious or possible. We ought to pray at all times and not lose heart. You know, it's true that difficult circumstances sometimes drive us to our knees. When our world is caving in around us, sometimes all we can do is pray. When all else fails, pray. But many other times, difficult circumstances actually drive us away from prayer. When the doctor's report comes back that the tumor is malignant, when our supervisor tells us that the downturn in the economy means our layoff is inevitable, when our mate tells us that there's somebody else, It's in those times that we become so paralyzed with fear and anxiety that we think this problem is even too big for God to handle. And so we quit praying. And instead what we do many times is we reserve our prayers for those easy issues in life. Or those things that really don't require divine intervention. Or those things that are immeasurable. You know, sometimes we, we pray easy prayers. We set the bar so low in our prayer life, we think, well, even God can climb over this one. We pray things like, uh, Lord, help me get over this cold. Now, that's fine to pray, Lord, help me get over this cold. But truthfully, that doesn't require any divine intervention. God has constructed your body in such a way that it's probably going to heal itself and get over the cold. Or we uh, pray immeasurable prayers, general prayers that we really don't know if they come true or not. We pray, Lord, bless the worship service today. And again, that's fine to pray, Lord, bless the worship service. But how do you know if he's really answered that prayer or not? 
I mean, as long as the soloist doesn't miss too many notes, as long as the preacher doesn't blow it too badly, we can say, hallelujah, God answered our prayer today. But that's not the kind of praying Jesus is talking about. He says, don't reserve your prayers for those easy situations. Don't pray those broad general prayers. We ought to pray at all times, even in the most difficult, perplexing situations, and not become discouraged. Now, to understand why it is Jesus chose to tell this parable at this time, we need to go back to 17, chapter 17, verse 20, and look at what occasioned this particular parable. Luke 17, verse 20. Now, having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, the Pharisees were bombarding Jesus with the question, Lord, when is the kingdom coming? Now, to the Jew, the kingdom of God represented that time when Messiah would come and set up his kingdom of perfect peace and righteousness. And the Jews were more interested in the political kingdom of God than the spiritual kingdom of God. Living under the Roman boot, they were tired of oppression. They were looking for that time when the, the Messiah would return and vanquish all of God's foes. And so they wanted to know, Jesus, when is that kingdom coming? Of course, they didn't accept Jesus as the Messiah. They thought that by asking the question, perhaps they could trip him up into claiming he was the Son of God and charging him with a blasphemy. And notice how he answered. He said in verse 20, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. By the way, here's one place where the King James translation blows it big time. If you've got a King James Bible, you probably have the sentence, Behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Now think about that. Does that make sense? Jesus is talking to unbelieving Jews. Is he saying the kingdom of God is in your heart? Of course not. The New American Standard translates it best when it says, Behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. In other words, Pharisees, quit looking in the sky for the coming of the kingdom of God. I'm here. I'm in your midst. I am the Messiah. Of course, had the Jews accepted the kingdom of God, accepted the Messiah, he would have set up his rule on earth. But of course, that wasn't part of God's plan. God actually used Israel's rejection of Christ to bring about his death and his redemption of all mankind. Now, that doesn't mean that God canceled the coming kingdom of God. He's just postponed it to a future age. We can right now experience an aspect of the kingdom of God right now. To the extent that you allow Jesus Christ to rule over every area of your life, you can enjoy some of the benefits of the kingdom right now in your life. You don't have to wait till his second coming. But there is coming a time when Christ will return and he will set up a perfect kingdom that is free of sin and persecution and the sadness that characterized the world today. And so in the rest of chapter 17, he describes the events that will culminate with the return of Jesus Christ. He talks about the sin that will be in the world during the great tribulation time. He will talk about the crying out of those saints who are living during the tribulation who will cry out for the coming of the Lord. And so when he comes to chapter 18, verse 1, he tells a parable to show that those Christians living in that future age who are awaiting the return of Christ, he says, don't give up. Keep on praying. 
In fact, in verse 8 of chapter 18, you see the second coming of Christ in view when he says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, even though the specific context of this parable is Christians living in that age just prior to the return of Christ, would be wrong to limit the application to just that group of Christians. The fact is, the fact is all of us are living in that age just prior to the return of Christ. Right now, we are living and experiencing the results of living in a sin-filled world. Every problem you're facing in life right now can be traced to sin. Either sin in your life, sin in somebody else's life, sin in the world. And the Bible says even though sin seems to be having victory, we shouldn't lose heart. We ought to pray at all times. And to illustrate why we should pray at all times, he tells this story beginning in verse 2. Look at the two characters that are in this parable. Verse 2, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God and he did not respect man. The first character in this story is an unrighteous judge. This story takes place against the backdrop of the judicial system in Jesus' day. And to emphasize what kind of judge this man was, notice the repetition of this description. He did not fear God, and he did not respect man. As one writer said, this is the last kind of judge you would ever want to appear before. A judge that lacked any sense of conscience or any compassion toward other people. That was this judge. And notice the second character in the story in verse 3. And there was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him. And now the widow in Jesus' day was the most defenseless member of society. She had lost her husband, her financial provider. She had lost any advocate or protector that she had. She was all alone in the world. And so you had this widow, verse 3, who kept coming to the judge saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. Now, we don't know exactly what was happening here, but something was happening that caused her to seek uh, refuge from uh, her opponents by going to the judge. We know from our study of the New Testament that many times Pharisees would actually take advantage of the widows. They would file some frivolous lawsuit against a widow and bribe a judge to render the verdict into their favor. And when the widow couldn't pay, she had so money, they would seize her home instead. Perhaps that's what was going on here. A Pharisee had bribed this unrighteous judge. Uh, He was about to foreclose on the widow's house, so she goes and begs for protection. Now, the Mosaic law prohibited taking advantage of widows. But remember... This judge had no respect for God's law. He didn't fear God, nor did he respect man. Verse 4 says, And for a while, the judge was unwilling to listen to the widow. Those of you who have gotten entangled in the judicial system today know what a frustrating experience that can be. I had a lawyer friend who said to me, The legal system today is designed to wear down everyone except the most persistent. I mean, you just want to give up. You keep going back and keep going back, appeal after appeal. Apparently, that's what was going on here. She kept begging for intervention, and he was unwilling. But then, in verse 4, he suddenly has a change of mind. 
But afterward, look at verse 4, he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection, lest by continually coming, she wear me out. Men, can you identify with that? Don't say amen, trust me. But do you get the picture here? Here's this judge, he doesn't care one thing about this widow, but she keeps coming and coming and coming, and finally he says, I give up. I'm going to give her what she wants so that she will leave me alone. Now notice, he wasn't motivated by conscience, he wasn't motivated by compassion, he was motivated purely by self-interest. He was doing what was best for himself. But nevertheless, he relented, and the widow got what she wanted. Now, had Jesus stopped the story here? Uh, If Jesus had said, now let's bow our hearts together in prayer, may the Holy Spirit apply this truth to every life, amen. We would have gotten the wrong idea. We would have come up with the wrong application. After all, this parable is about how we ought to pray at all times and not lose heart. If Jesus had stopped the story here... We would be tempted to say, okay, Jesus is saying, if we will just keep nagging God long enough, prayer means twisting God's arm to give us something he really doesn't want to give us. Is that the application of this passage? Is that what Jesus is saying prayer is all about? Twisting the arm of an unwilling God to give us what he really doesn't want to give us. If you don't hear another word I say, Hear this, this parable is not a parable of comparison, it's a parable of contrasts. That's where the power is. Jot down three distinct contrasts that Jesus makes in this passage. First of all, there is the contrast between God and the unrighteous judge. God and the unrighteous judge. Look at verse 6. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now shall not God bring about justice for his elect. (laughs) This judge was uh, unrighteous. He was uncompassionate. Is that what God, our Heavenly Father, is like? No. Jesus is saying, if an unrighteous and uncompassionate judge can be motivated to do the right thing, How much more will your loving Heavenly Father be motivated to do what is right for you? That's what Jesus is showing. Not the comparison, but the contrast between the two. Hold your place here and turn over to Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus says something similar. Matthew 7, verses 9 to 11, the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7, beginning with verse 9, Jesus said, Or what man is there among you when his son shall ask him for a loaf... We'll give him a stone. Or if his son asks him for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? If we who are parents who are still motivated by selfishness and filled with sin, if even we have the desire to give good gifts to our children... How much more does our perfect Heavenly Father desire to give good gifts to those of us who belong to Him? 
It's what Jesus is saying back in Luke 18. Turn back there. Notice the second contrast, and that is between the widow and God's elect. The widow and God's elect. Again, verse 7. Now shall not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? Now think about it. This widow had absolutely no relationship to the judge. She didn't know him. She had no standing before him. She had no money with which to bribe him. She was a complete stranger. And yet, he was motivated to act in her interest. Now, if that's true in that situation, how much more will God do for those of us who are his elect? Now, I don't understand everything about that word elect. But what I do understand is this. The moment I trust in Christ as my Savior, my status changes from that of being an enemy of God to that of being a child of God. I enter God's forever family. Ephesians 2, 8, 19 says, We are no longer strangers or aliens, but we are members of God's very own household. And because you are a member of God's family... You have a privilege to go to your heavenly father and talk to him, and he has an obligation to act in your best interests. That's what he's talking about here. The contrast between the widow who had no standing before the unholy judge and those of us who are members of God's family speaking to our heavenly father. And then notice the third contrast, and that is between the judge's timing and God's timing. He says in verse 7, And will God delay long over them? I tell you, He will bring about justice for them speedily. You see, the judge delayed in answering the widow's request. But Jesus is saying, your heavenly Father will not delay. He will answer your request speedily, quickly. I'm so glad you chose to join us for today's Pathway to Victory. As we delve into this parable from Luke 18 together, maybe you've been thinking about an unanswered prayer that's troubling you. Perhaps God has brought to your mind a broken relationship that compels you to pray. Let me urge you to persist. Don't lose heart. Like the widow who appealed her case again and again, God never tires of hearing your voice. He longs to carry that burden you are carrying for you. These are the kinds of lessons every Christian needs to understand, even your children and grandchildren. These lessons are life-changing, and the stories that Jesus told, that is, his parables, are relevant for any age and stage in life. That's one of the many reasons I chose to write a book for your children called Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids. My new book equips you with an entertaining way to sit down with your young person and let them discover through the stories and illustrated pictures the truth of God's Word. I'd be happy to send a copy of my new book to your home when you give a generous gift to support the growing ministry of Pathway to Victory. There's never been a better time to invest your giving in Pathway to Victory because of the Gospel Advance Matching Challenge that's active for just a few more days. Because of this $500,000 matching challenge, every dollar you give between now 
and July 4th will have twice the impact. But again, the deadline is next Monday at midnight, July 4th. So be sure to get in touch right now while it's still fresh on your mind. David will give you our contact information right now with all the details about my brand new children's book as well. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. When you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, we'd like to say thanks by sending you the brand new illustrated children's book, Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids. To make your request, call 866-999-2965, or even easier, simply go online to ptv.org. Now, when your gift is $75 or more, you'll also receive the complete unedited CD and DVD teaching sets for our current series called The Parables, Jesus' Favorite Stories. Remember, your gift right now will be doubled in impact through our Gospel Advance Matching Challenge. So request your copy of these resources today. Call 866-999-2965 or go to ptv.org. You can also send your donation by mail. Here's the address. P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. That's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Join us again next time for the conclusion of this message called Persistent Praying. That's Tuesday, here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas. Hi, this is Robert Jeffress. To bolster your courage and confidence in God's Word, I want to invite you to listen to my daughter Julia's brand new podcast. It's called Unapologetic. The Apostle Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You can hear the podcast at ptv.org or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.